double-digit inflation is affecting every single one of us. Not a single one of us has gone unscathed when it comes to buying food, putting gas in the car, getting that rent and mortgage paid, trying to buy clothes and back-to-school supplies. You know, the wallet is just getting hammered. So how are we, as preparedness experts, going to continue to keep up with preparedness. We've got to talk about some no-cost or maybe low-cost ways that we can continue our prepping activity and just kick this inflation right in the bohunkus. We'll be right back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. Just as I was about to open my mouth, we had a cat reach up here and with five claws, he just decided he wanted to pull himself up oh, on my leg. I wondered why you had that look on your I face. I had that look and uh, <laughs> thought I was going to have to hit the mute button. Ooh. Well, back to welcome to the podcast. Mm-hmm. We're glad you're here. Yes, we, we are. We appreciate you taking your time to listen to the podcast. We're getting some great feedback from folks. We're getting some email. We're getting some response to some questions that we have asked. And speaking of response, you know, we're a week away from the 30-day challenge on the water drinking. Yes, we are drinking that water. We started on July the 25th. We made it a 30-day challenge to drink the appropriate amount of water for whatever your weight is. And uh, I will say that with the exception of about maybe 14 hours, I have kept my water consumption way up there. And I will tell you that I feel good. I feel great. I can feel differences in the quality of my skin and in the uh, way that I don't feel hungry as much as I used to all the time that I thought that I was hungry. Turns out I was thirsty. Hmm. So since I'm hitting the water, I'm keeping those kidneys well flushed. The GI tract is working great. Uh, sleep wells, and the, there's not as many aches and pains in the joints. So I'm telling you, I'm going to continue this after the 30 days, but I definitely wanted to uh, report in that it's a positive experience. I have kept this on my mind, and I have kept up with it, and so I'm very proud of myself. So how are you doing? We are interested in hearing how your 30-day challenge with water is going. You can get us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info, and we'd be interested to hear your experience with this. What are we talking about tonight, since we don't have a lot of money to spend on gear and gadgets and stuff and adding to our stockpiles? What are we talking about? Well, we do need to keep preparedness at the forefront. You know, we can't let an assault on our wallets stop us from being logically and reasonably prepared for whatever the threats that we would most likely face. Mm -hmm. We don't want to encourage folks to just not prep at all. Go ahead and continue to purchase those uh, cans of food. If you've been buying two or four or six cans of food, maybe you can only afford to just add one this week. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Just kind of keep up with what little bit you can afford and try to find those ways where you can cut back so that you can maintain preparedness because a smaller sacrifice on this end of it 
works a lot better than getting in trouble down the road and needing preps and not having them. Yes, but we still want to be doing some prepping activities. We do. So what we've come up with here, and we did this a year or so ago, and that was low-cost or no-cost prepping activities, and we have come up with more low-cost and no-cost prepping activities because we want to keep our prepping going. Yes, we want to be relevant, stay on it, be current with your prepping activities. And one of the things that we need to do, and if I'm guessing, most of us have not put this on paper, and we need to, and that's to do a threat assessment. Yes, wherever you're living and in what type of area where you're working or go to school or at home in your community, your neighborhood, think about everything around you that could go wrong. Are you dealing with weather? Do you have an urban setting where you have to depend on like public transportation? What is the situation in your life Mm -hmm. where if it all kind of went south one day, how are you going to respond? Yeah, a lot of times people focus on the big catastrophic events. Mm -hmm. But for us, the number one threat here in North Alabama is weather. Yes. And so we have done a lot of prepping geared toward weather. For other folks, it can be wildfires. For other folks, it can be hurricanes. If you live on the coast, hurricanes a good option to be Mm -hmm. preparing for because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it's coming at you. And uh, here lately, uh, some of our friends and neighbors have been inundated with flood as well. So that's also a very devastating event. So what's the number one event that you could face? And then what's the next? What's the next? Mm -hmm. And what's the next? And that gives you an idea of how you need to be preparing. Now, another thing that we can do is to create a communications plan. Now, I've talked a lot about this over a period of time because communication is so vital, so vital that we communicate, that we understand, that we are able to receive information. And that's the first point is know how you will receive information. Yeah. So if you're dealing with weather as one of your larger threats, you would do well to make sure that you are prepared with an NOAA, they call it NOAA, weather radio, specific kind that has alerts and it's programmable for your area. Talk a little bit, Mark, about how we kind of do ours regarding how we involve the different counties around, not just our own county. Yes, you can program these and you can program the types of alerts that you get on it. Now, we don't have an avalanche alert on ours. We we don't need that. that. Mm -hmm. It's available, but I think I totally deactivated it. One, we don't have a big enough mountain. Number two, we don't get enough snow. And, but what you can do is you can program these in. They're called same codes. Don't ask me exactly what that stands for because I don't remember right off the top of my head. We'll have to research that. It'll come to me just after we finish the podcast. (laughs) But you can look up your county and you can get the codes to program into your radio. And if a neighboring county goes off, yours stays silent. So if it's not for your county, then that will not alert. So for that reason, and the radios, especially the Midland, I think you can program in five codes. So 
We have programmed in the counties, let's call it upstream for us. Right. So that's to the southwest because we want a county extra notice because we live, what, five or six miles off of the county line. Mm-hmm. If it's coming from the southwest, we want additional warning time to be able to get up in the middle of the night and figure out what's going on and what we need to do. So you can program these from different directions. You can put all the counties around you. But in a major storm, if you've got all the ones around you, it gets pretty annoying. It can, yeah, if you're having a pretty active event. But that one county upstream is a good thing to have. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And that does buy you some time as well. That's the whole idea. We need to be aware of what's coming, evaluate what's coming, and then be able to take the appropriate action. In addition to a weather radio, you need some type of a battery-operated AM-FM radio. You need to be Uh, able to get the information if there's an event going on. You know, when we were kids, we called them transistor radios. Mm -hmm. I I imagine you can say transistor radio to a 20-something or younger, and they'd have no idea what you're talking about. Because they're all transistor radios. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they just use their phone devices. That's their radio. But we're talking about something that can be used when the cell phones are down mm -hmm. and there is no power surging through the wires. And we called them transistor radios because there were also tube radios. Mm -hmm, Right. And those had to warm up. It didn't come on instantly. (laughs) And you didn't operate them off batteries either. And that's another thing is you need extra batteries for every communication device that you use. Yes. And also make sure that on your television that you have scanned an antenna so that you can have local broadcasting. Because like in our area, when a severe thunderstorms, anything within a straight line winds or microbursts or anything that has rotation, they do what's called wall to wall. They will go live in the local television station and they'll preempt all the other national programming because they know that they have to get instantaneous information from the National Weather Service, they go wall to wall. But you have to have the local television access. You know, you're not going to get this like on cable or a streaming service. You just need to have your local television station. Now, you may get your local TV on the cable station, but you know the cable station actually comes in to somewhere in your area via satellite. And if you have satellite TV, a lot of times heavy heavy rain can blank that satellite out and so you're not able so that's why we went to the antenna tv that we had both and at one time it we now have antenna tv in all of our tvs which three one in the den one in the office here one in the bedroom but we put antenna tv on one television back then in here, which becomes weather central to some degree. exactly. And uh, Widget and I will get in here and we'll watch the weather together. And we wanted that to be able to get the local up to the minute from the local meteorologist. But, you know, broadcast meteorologists save lives. They do. They save a lot of lives. All right. Now, when we're talking about receiving information, there's also ham radio. Now, the thing about ham radio, you must be licensed to be able to transmit on it. Yes. 
Okay, I can hear some of you out there going, but in an emergency. Well, yeah, we've yes, talked about the that. The regulations do say that in the threat of life that anyone can talk on any frequency that there is. But if you bought that handheld radio planning to use it when the stuff hits the fan, you're probably not going to know how to use it. Right, because you have to know how to locate a frequency and yes. dial it in and be able to... There, There's a certain commonality of the language of amateur radio, also called ham radio. Uh, yes, they speak in normal language, but there's also certain ways that they communicate with number yes, codes, too. Yes, but what I want to say here is you don't have to have a license to listen. Of course not. And some of the very, very inexpensive Chinese radios make a fairly decent scanner. And I know we did that with a lady in the previous county we lived in. She was just very afraid of weather. And we got one of the Beofangs, and we programmed all of the ham frequencies that we had in that area. Plus, we programmed in the law enforcement frequencies so she would be able to hear. Nothing on her radio was able to transmit. We took all of that out. And she uses that as a scanner. But in a lot of areas, not in every area, but in a lot of areas, the ARIES groups do a very good job of disseminating information about the local storms that are going on right now. He referenced ARIES. We're not talking about the astrological sign. We're talking about A-R-E-S, which is Amateur Radio Emergency Services. And they yes. Call it ARIES. And there will be one repeater in your area that that group uses. And if you look it up on repeaterbook.com, Look up your area, and you find the in the little codes on there, it'll say WX, and that's your weather repeater. Okay, so not only do we want to receive information, we've got to figure out how we're going to get the information out. How are we going to communicate with someone? Well, most of us are going to use cell phone. If we can, and absolutely. If we can. Now, the problem with that is it often gets overloaded. We went through the April 27th of 2011 tornado. Our family was scattered out. I was watching the radar. I knew where the storm was. I knew where they were. And this huge tornado went over them. And it was 20 minutes after it passed them before we were able to hear that they were okay. Oh, wow. And that was a text that we were able to get out. So what happens, it can get overloaded. Towers can go down. All types of things can happen there that you're not able to use that. And when it gets overloaded, text is a much better way of getting a message out. Why is that? It uses much less bandwidth than does the phone. I see. Than does the voice. That makes sense. But now you also need a way to keep them charged. Right. Especially if we're looking at an extended power outage. One thing that we've learned in the last couple of years is social media check-ins. Right. You know, such and such marked safe from, you know, Hurricane Irene or what have you. Mm -hmm. And that is a way to get a word out to a lot of relatives and friends that are scattered all over the world. That's, you know, that person you're concerned about in that affected area, if you can see that they've checked in on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or something like that, 
that brings you a lot of relief. Oh yeah, and you can you can see it very quickly, and that is and it is dependent on being able to have internet. But a lot of times the internet doesn't necessarily go down when the power goes out. Not necessarily. Right. And you can also access it off of your telephone. You can also use Messenger. Messenger serves much of the same purpose, but you can go to individual family members. You can say, hey, yes, we're okay, but this was where you can say, we've got this damage or we've got this issue. Come and help and bring this when you come. And there's also two-way radio. You know, we've already referenced ham radio. That absolutely does require a license to be able to speak on it, how you're going to get information out. You do need to be a licensed amateur radio operator. There's also GMRS. What does that stand for? General Mobile Radio Service. It also requires a license, but many people just don't get it. A lot of the GMRS frequencies are in the radios that you get from the big box. I see. And, you know, you can get either FRS, Family Radio Service, which does not require a license, and either or both of these frequencies can be used in the big box store walkie-talkies. I see. Really, either one would kind of work, but it depends on your area and what your community is doing. And really, maybe I should say neighborhood. It's a good way... If you've got um, a subdivision and you've got a number of friends in there, if you've all got one of these radios after this kind of a situation, you can turn that on. You've got a pre-agreed-upon channel that you're going to use on that. And so you can check on each other, and you can call for help if you need to. I understand now the distance on those being able to be effective has a big bearing on that. It, It does. Now, in the wide open unobstructed line of sight, you're going to get about a mile out of the handheld. I see. And even less out of some of the FRS radios. And do a little checking on that. Some of the channels in uh, FRS are limited to a half watt. Others are limited to two watt. And GMRS, you are still limited to a half a watt on some of the same frequencies or channels that frs is on but you can use up to five watts in a handheld but that will get you around the community and one of the things you need to look at there is you're talking from inside the house to inside the house sometimes yes gotcha you're also going to want to store good old-fashioned pen and paper and uh, a digital phone list but also yeah transfer those digital bits of information, telephone numbers and email addresses and such, onto some sort of notebook or paper account because if you can't open your internet device, your phone, your laptop, your iPad, you've got to be able to know what those numbers are because you might be able to either as a ham radio operator yourself or you can find someone who's operating ham radio and they can get a message out for you. Mm-hmm. So that is something that amateur radio ham radio operators can do for you and often uh, help in that way. In fact, the Red Cross really depends on them after a major disaster. Yeah, and the um, South Bears, the Southern Baptist Amateur Radio Group, uh, they do a lot of health and welfare messages. And that's what they're talking about. 
They set up in the impact area where there is no communication, and they get the messages out to someone in the area who's able to make that telephone call. Man, that's fantastic. And, you know, little Miss Smith up here a thousand miles away, she hadn't heard from her sister, and she's worried about her sister. And she gets that phone call and says, your sister's okay, her phone's out, but she'll call you when she can. Her stress level just went way down. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Now, what we did with our paper list is it's actually in a Word file. And we have all of the family, both sides of the family. And we have names. We actually have addresses in there. We have the email addresses, the cell phones and such. And it's on a Word file. And it's about a five-page document in there and we just print it out we send it to all of those that would know how to handle a word file that's emailed to them Mm -hmm. and we printed it out and gave it to the rest of them and so it also serves as a christmas card list it does you can also put that on a thumb drive and then Mm -hmm. you've got a, a quick fast way to put that into a bag if you needed to exit your home quickly if there's been a fire or a flood you have to go and so if you've got some of those thumb drives that are easy to carry, you've got your information right there with you. And at some point, you'll encounter a working computer where you can use your information. Mm-hmm. And it also helps. I have one in my EDC bag. And if I'm off somewhere and don't have my computer, I can borrow somebody else's computer and pull that information up if I need to. There you go. That's exactly right. Our sponsor for today's podcast is ProLine Digital Group. ProLine Digital Group is a web hosting, app creating, digital lead service. If you are a self-employed individual, perhaps a landscaper, a dog walker, a babysitter, or a graphic sign artist, you would need some way to get in touch with customers. And ProLine Digital Group can provide you with digital leads that will help you grow your own business. Hey, you know, you're also going to need a website. Let ProLine Digital Group create that for you and also support and host your website. You can have a beautiful, professionally designed website and also supported by ProLine Digital Group. You need an app for the phone? If you're an organization, a church, a school, a neighborhood, a group of folks that just wants to have their own app for their own purposes, Contact ProLine Digital Group. They can help you out with any type of internet presence or digital lead service. You're going to want their attention. They can take care of you. That's ProLine Digital Group. In addition to making a communications plan, we can make a prepping plan. Do you have food and water stored? Well, how much could you need? These are things that you could put down on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to really do the math on this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, you and I both have thought a lot about particularly the water. I've preached long and loud about water storage because I think what we often find when we're reading about that is the minimal amount that it would take to keep your body alive. And they limit that sometimes to a gallon of water per day per person when you're in that need of it. But you've got to consider other things. If you're prepping and storing a lot of dry beans and rice and you're going to want to wash dishes and eventually bathe at some point, you're going to need more water than just what you're drinking. So you've got to consider what extra water storage you have to put into your preps. And a good thing to figure on there is a gallon per day per person for how long do you think you'll need it? Are you preparing for a week, 
multiply that times seven, one week, seven days by the number of people in the house. Mm-hmm. And don't forget the pets. They, they drink <laughs> a lot of water, too. Absolutely. And the next thing is, do you know how to filter and purify water? Right. And when we're talking about this, we're talking about writing down your plan for filtering and purifying water. You know, you'll be under stress Mm -hmm. if you're in an emergency situation. Your mind is going to be kind of blown, and you don't want to be trying to come up with a plan when you're already in the thick of it. Being able to go to a written source, there's a lot of comfort in that. And we're going to talk a lot more about that in a few minutes. But Next thing to put down is how will you cook or heat your food if there's no electricity? Exactly. Do you even have the proper cookware to be able to use on an outdoor situation? As we've talked before, uh, if you have a gas stove, you're pretty good shape for a power outage. But we talked on the last couple of episodes when we did the one on earthquake, earthquakes can break lines. It can break the gas line far away from your house Mm -hmm. and cuts off your supply of gas. And even if it doesn't break the gas line in an earthquake situation, utility company is going to go ahead and cut it off. They very well may. And you need some backup cooking options. And one, and our go-to is our propane grill or our camp stove. Yeah. It just operates off a bottle of propane and Boy, it heats up fast, and it cooks well. We've used it a number of times. Yeah, and that little two-burner camp stove, you can get those for as cheap as 35 bucks. Mm-hmm. And, and they're pretty bulletproof. They're a tough little they're, nugget. They're tough little dudes. And get the one-pound bottles now. You right. will need some of those, and so store up some of those. And we have found on camping trips that we've done all the cooking we need to do in Uh, Now, two camping trips, and we still haven't gone through the entire first bottle. Exactly. I mean, we've made coffee in the pot, and we have fried breakfast in the cast iron stove, so we've really put some use on it. Mm -hmm. Another thing you can do as a last resort is cooking over an open fire or even the fireplace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, you can use some cinder blocks and maybe create a bit of a safe type of fire pit where you can contain your fire. We're not suggesting that you start a fire in the middle of the forest because you're desperate because you'll burn down the forest. You're going to need a sensible plan about an open fire. And you're going to want to figure out how that's going to look, what you need to carry, what needs to be available for you to bring that off. And it doesn't need to be a large fire for cooking. Mm-hmm. We're not talking bonfire here. Right. Uh, and that your cinder block idea there is pretty good in that you can make a pit in there for your fire and still be able to set your cast iron on top of the cinder blocks. Yeah, you could even take the grate off of a grill right put on the top of the open hole of the cinder block stove now if you're going to use your regular cookware let me suggest that you coat the bottom of that and up the sides of that with dishwashing liquid and that will keep the soot off it won't keep it off of it but it'll make it very easy to remove if you don't have something on there to protect it You're going to ruin your cookware. Now, you're not talking about cast iron. No, no. You're talking about like a stainless steel or aluminum or a copper or something Stainless steel is particularly, and we learned that in disaster relief when Mm. we were preparing food for the American Red Cross to distribute, and we were using 80-quart stainless steel stock pots. That's a big pot. That's a big pot. (laughs) 
and we'd have like 10 of them going at a time. Mm-hmm. And so we learned to put that on there. Hey, you know, you, sometimes you need to decide what would make you bug out. You know, some folks say, never, I'll, I'll never, never leave my out. house. I'm not going. You hear this all the time at hurricane season. I'm going to ride it out. And some of them ride it right on out to the ocean. Yeah, if you're going to ride say. out a Cat 5 hurricane, please write your name and contact info on your arm in an indelible ink. Yeah, I know. It sounds like we're being kind of like cynical and macabre. I think that's actually, you know, Pretty darn good advice if you're going to take that kind of a chance. Well, I, I have had to try to figure out who the dead guy yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And if, if you're going to write out the Cat 5, just write it. A Sharpie marker works well. Just write it on your arm. Your name helps if you give us your date of birth and give us your contact information and their telephone. Like who, who your next of kin, you mean? Yes. Yeah. So if we find your body... We'll know who to contact. Well, you know, I referenced it a moment ago about if there's been a fire, you know, if your home has been devastated by fire or flood or has been smashed to bits by a storm, you cannot stay. You right. have to go. Right. And if the fire is coming. Like the wildfires. Like you know, the wildfires. Exactly. If the flood's coming. Mm-hmm. But you have to decide what will make you bug out. What will make you leave your house? And then, and you know, you could have the police knock on the door and say, there's a toxic chemical spill. You got three minutes to be out. It's not the police department or the city's responsibility to figure out where you're supposed to go. No, you're just leaving. Their job is to give you the information and make you go if it's mandatory, but they can't take care of you. They can't take you to their house. No. They're not going back to their house anyway. But you need to decide what you are going to tolerate, Mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. And then you need to decide where you're going to go. Now, for us, our first bug-out location is a hotel that's about two miles from here. Well, we want to go in opposite to whatever the danger is. Well, yes, but, I mean, if we had to leave, that's our... First place to go. Sure, if that's if, if that's, that's a viable an, option. If that's yeah. a viable option, the second option is with family, mm-hmm. and so there's other considerations in there. And we're going to do a podcast. Uh, we're actually going to do a couple of podcast episodes on prepping with special needs. Yeah. And if you have someone with special needs, there's some special considerations you need to have if you're going to be able to leave in a short notice or if you're going to have to leave for an extended period. And so those are things that you can put into your prepping plan. Now, this one is one you were talking about a while ago, and that's making a prepping binder. And this is where you're not thinking straight in an emergency. This is where you put your SOP, your standard operating procedures for various tasks. What would you do if and how to do it? Right. Like, for example, like turning the water off. Yeah. Do you know where the water meter is? Yeah. You know, you really got to think these things out. Do you know what kind of tool to use to turn the water off? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know where it is? And are you the only one in your household that knows how to do any of these things? Exactly. So if you are, guess what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to be able to open a binder that has the how-to instructions. Now, oftentimes it would be the husband that knows where to do this. 
The wife may know where, but she may have never done it. Well, what if you're not home, guys? What if it is your wife and your two teenage daughters and they need to turn the water off? Wouldn't it be a nice thing to have to have a book they can open up that says turn off water and they can go step by step and it tells them what tool and where it is and how to do it. Yeah. Same thing with shutting down the electricity. Mm -hmm. If you had to shut the electricity off for the house because it's a safety move, you need to know the proper way to do that. Yeah. And when to do it. And how to do it. Right. In this prepper binder, you can also include copies of all your important documents. Right. And we've also said that if you're copying or printing off of your computer, again, put that on a thumb drive. Yes, a very good thing to do, especially if you're scanning these documents in, then you have them that you can print out and you can save the document on a thumb drive. Now, this is where you can put your inventory of the things inside your house. I've dealt with a number of folks with devastating things over the years doing disaster relief and such. And and sometimes the insurance companies want documentation of the things that you had in the house. And it's good if you can provide photographs and serial numbers of those things. It also comes in very handy after a burglary. For insurance purposes, it's very helpful to be able to catalog that sort of thing. I've actually been through that with a house fire where we had to provide the insurance company with an inventory of literally every single thing in the house from curtains to brooms, Mm. everything and everything in between. All right. This is where you want to print out and keep that list of emergency contacts. Mm -hmm. That should be in part of your communication plan. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll have that. And it's a good place to have emergency information. And we talked about this when we were talking about building the binder And that's having all of the medical histories, all of the allergy information, your personal doctor's contact info, even uh, advanced directives in there. And if a family member suddenly has to go to the hospital, you can grab that binder and go. And if you're in an upset situation, stressful situation, you can just hand them that piece of paper and they've got all of that information. Mm -hmm. Also, you're going to want to check your equipment, all of your gear and supplies, uh, starting off with things like smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, of course, your weather radio, which we've mentioned, your ham radio, and any batteries that are needed to keep these devices going. Yeah, this kind of becomes the fun part, you know, instead of sitting and writing, we're doing something with our hands and we're checking that equipment, we're checking that gear, we're going through our supplies And we're unscrewing the tops off of our flashlight because we want to (laughs) check those batteries for leakage. You know, we've actually discovered that. We had a a flashlight that was pushed to the back of a drawer Mm -hmm. and it got forgotten about for a couple of years. So we take it out. It's not turning on. We open it up and it's just all corroded all in there. We literally had to throw the flashlight away. Yeah, it, it was beyond any kind of restoration. Yeah, and and it was a cheap one. I think it was more than a couple of years it had gotten shoved <laughs> Could have back. Been. Th- but that's the thing about batteries. They'll bust on you. They know? will leak. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it's the top notch, they will eventually leak. Mm-hmm. So take these out, pull the batteries out, check them for leakage, and check them for voltage. You do have a little battery tester, don't you? I do. Yes. <laughs> and if you don't, you can go buy one. They're under 10 bucks. Exactly. I, mean, I, I saw one at Harbor Freight for like 
Four ninety five. I mean, so. that's a good investment to at least let you know that mm-hmm. your stash of batteries is any good. Or if you you can use a multimeter, set it on the DC voltage and check the voltage on your batteries. And if they're under, you know, about one point two volt for a double A for a C or a D, then just chunk them or put them right. back for something else. Also, check your inventory of your knives, your axes, hatchets, any kind of bladed tool. I like the way she said, check your inventory. All right, I've gone through my inventory, and I need more. (laughs) You can never have enough Jim Curtis knives, right? Well, no, you can't. But uh, what she's talking about here is, are your blades sharp? Are Are they they rust-free? Exactly, because they can, you know, depending on the carefulness of how you store them, They'll either be clean as a whistle or they're going to be a very disappointing long day of work. Yeah, if they're not put up with some oil on them, if you're going to store them for an extended period of time, uh, they're going to rust. Good steel will rust. Mm -hmm. And Jim Curtis says if you'll use vegetable oil instead of honing oil or gun oil, your apple will taste better. Yeah. (laughs) And I found that to be pretty true. That's true. Speaking of keeping things clean, firearms, any type of firearms, you need to clean them after you've used them. You may need to make sure there's no rust, that they're properly lubricated, properly stored, and properly secured. Mm-hmm. And while you're at it, check your ammo. Oh, yes. Is it turned green? Ew, what does that mean? It means it's uh, moldy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's corroded. <laughs> moldy bullets. <laughs> moldy bullets. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean it won't shoot. Uh, we and, and brass will have that little green stuff on it at times at oxidation doesn't necessarily mean that it won't shoot, but it means that you could have problems with it. Oh, it could, could it gunk up your gun? Well, it could gunk up your gun with a bullet. If it pushes it out only halfway through the barrel. Oh, that's nasty. That's a a problem. That is, but it's a real problem for your personal defense ammo. You need to, Check that from time to time. If you're one that happens to be out in the rain a lot, you might want to change that out every year or so. If you get wet and, you know, in law enforcement, we've done that. I've actually had to go home at night, tear my gun down, pour the water out. Oh, gosh. And that was before I could go to bed. So put it back together the next day and change the ammo since Mm -hmm. we had been in that much water. So. Check that ammo as well. You also need to take a look at your get-home bags, your car bags, or your bug-out bags. Yeah, there's items in there that need to be rotated. Yeah, that can of beans you put in there, is that, you know, four years old now? No, it's only three. Is the beef jerky got a little fuzz on it? (laughs) I'm not eating it. No. (laughs) Yeah, that stuff can... uh, And we've done that down at the hunting club where we've left it in there and lost it for a couple of years. And it kind of gets fuzzy over a period of time. (laughs) And another thing that you will do from time to time is use items out of that, especially our car bag. We'll use items out of there. So what have we used that we need to replace? Right. So you need to check, tear down that bag. Did you know you can actually put the empty bag into the washing machine? Huh. You can wash, you can launder a backpack. I bet you didn't know I that. I think you told me that one time. I learned that when I was a teacher. Hmm. We would tell our our students' parents that if you're using that same book bag from last year, 
put it through the wash, you know, a sanitizing a wash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about here is checking our first aid kits. Right. Because now that's a kit we get into pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, as long as Usually for me. Yeah. Uh, somebody's got a cut. Somebody's knocked their, uh, a cut onto their head or something. And Yeah. We need to order another case of Band-Aids. Yeah. So check your first aid products, particularly things like antibacterial creams and ointments, the amount of gauze, maybe some of that adhesive type tape that you can put onto gauze, that, and make sure that you've got an appropriate variety of Band-Aids. I especially like that fingertip style mm-hmm. because that's where I get my cuts. I'm a fingertip cutter, and I need that fingertip Band-Aid. That works best for me. I like the knuckles because that's where I wind that's where up you banging. Get, that's yeah. where you get yours, when, huh? When you go out to work on the car, just go ahead and bash your knuckles against the concrete, get it over with because you know you're going to bash your knuckles before Yeah, at least you saw out. it coming, yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, something else you've got to check in your first aid kit, particularly if it's been stored where it gets hot, over time. Time, heat can actually deteriorate the sticky of a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. I've even taken a Band-Aid out of the paper, a fresh one, so an unopened one, let me there say. There you go. And I've stuck it onto my skin and it just jumped right off. No stickum at all. Yeah. Because it was old and it had gotten hot and it just, just degummed. Now, the really good ones are better at that than the cheap ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they still will lose their adhesivity. Is right. that a word? Or did I just make well, that Well, I'm I'm all for making up a word. Adhesitivity mm-hmm. is kind I of... I like that one. I like that too. Okay. Anything else you can think about that we could do that's low cost or no cost in our prepping activities? Well, just one more added thing before we go is I think it's also good, back to the food and water preps, and this is something that I'm going to be doing very soon too, is I'm going to take a comprehensive inventory of how much we have of what kind of food items so that I don't get lopsided with my preps. Like I don't want only beans and rice. I'm going to want other things. And I have been over this inflationary period going to be real talk here for a minute. I've been pulling out of my prep pantry for our basic needs every day because prepping isn't just to have food in an emergency. It's also a way to save money, you know, in advance. And so when I know that I've got a case of soup or a case of chili or, a, you know, a case of pasta or something. That I've, would be multiple cases. Yeah, of exactly. Pasta. Hey, you, you should be so happy about that. I've been pulling a lot out of our prepper pantry, so I've depleted quite a bit and I'm little by little restoring it. But I need to take a good pen and paper inventory mm-hmm. of what do I actually have. And I want to pull through everything to make certain that it is still viable. And if I have any question, You know the old saying, when in doubt, throw it out. If I've got a can of goods that I've been storing for like four years and it's all dented and it's starting to look a little weird, I'm tossing it. I'm not going to take any chances on any can that may have a a bend in it where bacteria can seep in. There's just no excuse for that. So I'm going to go through and make sure that all of my prepper pantry goods are in the very best condition possible. So I would say, too, that, that costs you nothing but time. So that's a very no-cost thing. But I think it'll give you awareness, mm-hmm. and it'll help you plan better when you're going back like I'm going to do and restore some of the things that I've used. Yeah, no, she's she's really talking about more rotating here, but we're just not in a great big hurry to replace because we're not in danger. Uh, we can, we're still in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. 
it's not like she's gone down to where there's only nine cans on the shelf. You oh, know? no, nothing like so that. I mean, no. She's just making use of what we have there, knowing that things are going to be better in the not too distant future. That's hopefully. what we're hoping and praying. That's what we're hoping. <laughs> it can't get and, much worse. <laughs> you know, we say that on this side, but on the other side, we're just prepping away. So exactly. we, we see some things coming, some shortages. And uh, we list a lot of the shortages that we think are going to be coming. Uh, those are in the newsletter. So if you don't have that, get on our email list for that. And um, what we want you to do is to stay prepared because stuff happens. And we'll see you next time.